it's day who knows of staying at uh in my adolescent home with my mother um it's getting a bit a bit gray gardens getting a little bit gray gardens i don't know how much more i can stomach it um if you've been following my twitter you know i've been trying to smoke weed um a little bit unsuccessfully and it feels insane i'm you know i'm turning 31 on tuesday i'm trying to hide weed and alcohol from my mom not so much that like i fear getting in trouble or whatever obviously anymore um but just because it's just annoying to have to have these conversations with her it's just everything everything is a hassle any subject have to just converse with to her it's it's really exhausting so I'd rather avoid it um, but if you it's a it will need to be addressed I'm sure because the first um, night I tried I just I opened my window a crack and you know she's in the bedroom next door and I thought if I just you know I have a little, tiny little bowl and if I just real quick inhale and exhale through the window and immediately you know put out the the uh the lit weed that it wouldn't create an odor and uh and i also had a candle lit and i thought that would be enough because i also just have a terrible sense of smell i really can't smell much i do not have virus i've just always I don't know when it started. My sense of smell just went away, and I always wanted to go to a doctor, but no insurance. So maybe I'll ask my uh, current doctor about that. I'll bring her up a little a little later. Um, so I really didn't expect her to walk in and be like, "What's that smell?" And I was already quite high. And so luckily, luckily, my phone started ringing at the same moment she was like what's that smell so I pretended to be distracted by like the phone call and I was just like yeah it's just a candle and she's like where is it and I'm like fumbling to answer my phone and I'm just like it's it, it went away and then I answer the phone and start talking and she's still like you know probably thinking about what does that mean where the candle went away um so I, I got away with it that night I guess and then the next night I do it again uh, this time with Febreze I wrangle some Febreze and yet again she comes in she goes are you doing that smell again and uh, she she says I recognize that smell from I, f I found it in your stepdad's jacket um, so it's safe to assume she knows what I'm doing what I'm up to but She's not really prying. I give her credit, and uh, in her adult years, I've mentioned that she's in my adult years. She's she's chilled out and kind of just left me to my devices, so that I do not excommunicate her from my life. Um, so I don't know if she'll she'll really press again. I did smoke the other night, uh, but it was just after hours, so she had no reason to come into my room. So maybe I'll just have to keep doing it real late, or just stepping out and smoking outside uh, just to avoid having to be like everyone does it mom everyone does it Mo does it Sam my brother's fiance does it I mean she has like half her stomach removed so it's for medicinal purposes I guess but 
it's like my brother's an alcoholic. It's so much worse, so much worse than smoking weed. Um, my brother, by the way, uh, former ICE agent, currently Department of Department of Homeland Security agent. My mom's birthday was a couple days ago. Mine's coming up on Tuesday. He sends us a joint $50 Amazon gift card. So, if you need another reason to abolish ICE and abolish DHS, um, I have very personal reasons for wanting to abolish these agencies, and you can share in that with me. I mean, to be fair, he is very generous to my mother. He gives her a blank checkbook so she can pay for whatever she needs, but he's still an asshole to me, and that's what I care about. Uh, and I guess, you know, it's like the immigrants and whatever. Um, so, yeah, my mom, she's like, she's just always been like just clinically paranoid and anxious. So this pandemic and the virus shit's the worst thing for her. She had like a mini stroke a, a year ago, two years ago. So she's just always on high alert and has like heart palpitations and stuff. And she just like, she's a sanitizer connoisseur now. She comes to me with literally four different bottles of sanitizer, like, try this one, this one's, this one's not sticky at all. This one's a little sticky. This one is 80% alcohol. Really? Really, why don't you pass it over and give me a sip, Mom? Give me a sip of that sweet Sani. Because, actually when I came in, uh, when I first got back home, she opened the cabinet so here's where I keep our stock of alcohol. And I did like a double take, like, what? What? And then I realized I, she was just like eight different bottles of like rubbing alcohol. Like, oh, right. So I brought with me um, little mini bar sized bottles of alcohol to hide. Um, when I was back at my place, I was receiving free monthly cocktail kits because I'm uh, just, you know, a powerful Hollywood influencer and um, receiving free alcohol because of my importance um, in, in the comedy industry and uh, so I, I brought a bunch of those little bottles with me and I keep them hidden around my room but I'm running out I might have to go back to my place to pick up the next the next kit um, and I enjoyed I'm, I'm enjoying kombucha and gin I'm finding that's a very nice combination, which I tried yesterday at a, at a Zoom show I did. I was doing a Zoom show in my childhood bedroom, uh, drinking kombucha and gin. And I must say I'm starting to enjoy the Zoom shows almost maybe a little bit more than the outdoor shows I've gotten to do. Uh, it's kind of weird. I started the pandemic with being very anti-Zoom show. I just think that all the signs in the universe are pointing to stand-up being eradicated, you know, there was hashtag me too, and then, um, you know, just cancel culture, and now the pandemic completely wiping out live performance, and I just think Zoom is kind of defying God's will, but I was really, I was forgetting my jokes, I was forgetting everything, and that's really scary. Like, to go so long without doing the thing that you've been doing every night, it's just, it's existentially disorienting, and so I just have to give in and do them to try to keep my comedy brain going, which is also the point of this podcast, although most of the time I think I'm just ranting about something that's not funny at all, but that's neither here nor there. Um, 
so I did the Zoom show, uh, and it was uh, it was fun. And I the thing is, I just kind of I don't even feel like doing the, the jokes. I just kind of want to talk to people. It's nice just to talk to people who aren't my mom. Um, and uh, it's less tempting to want to alienate people with my sense of humor over the Zoom show. It's it's fun to like you know make people uncomfortable in a room when they're trapped with you. But when it's just so easy for them to like close their screen or leave the leave the chat, it's not as tempting. I just kind of want like make friends. But um, I just keep imagining that you know I've been I've been doing some trans and pedophile pedophile jokes, and it it would just be so funny to be canceled. For, for a Zoom show, if, if you got in trouble over something you said over Zoom, that'd be just the saddest headline. Really, I mean, really pathetic. It would be so embarrassing, you'd have to just quit comedy just because of that. Um, hopefully, maybe that'll happen. Um, because it, it's just, I really don't know, it's the future of stand-up is truly bleak. I felt it was bleak before all of the pandemic stuff despite like, you know, what the industry is doing to it. Comedy Central's a mess. Netflix, for the most part, doesn't really give a fuck about actually funny, the funniest comedians that are out here putting in the work. And so it's just bleak. Um, and I guess YouTube's way, and I'd really just like to dump this hour that, I, that I've spent the last decade working on and then See what happens, and then you know, and if nothing happens, and then, I don't know, maybe I'll just go do something else. I really don't know. It's just, it's hard to describe uh, how dehumanizing being in show business is. But I wish everybody could try it because it would be so illuminating for people to really understand how the media works, and how media personalities work, and how politics works in a very unique way and you understand Twitter, and you understand why people say what they do, and how fraudulent most of it is, and how everyone is trying to push their career ahead, and if that means also co-opting an actual um, injustice in society in order to try to get a job, so be it, but the justice is secondary for, most, for, for a lot of people who are the loudest and most radical online. And you don't really get to understand that until you are in show business and trying to attain something that is extremely difficult to attain and many, many people want to attain it. You get to really see a dark side of human nature and the things people are willing to say and do in order to get ahead. And it's, it's quite dark, but important uh, epistemologically, I think. Um, and I'm reading this book now, which I, I really recommend to everybody, and I'm going to try to get the author to talk to me. I don't really know who, who I have the power to wrangle for on this, on this pod. Um, but it's a book called This Is Not Propaganda, Adventures in the War on Reality. Because that's, I feel like that's what's the most interesting to me in everything that's going on in the world and all the horror. I think the, I think the, epistemological horror is, is the truly interesting thing and something that I didn't know how to put into words um, like five years ago where I just felt this slipping away of, of a even just the illusion of a shared reality like that we all kind of had I, at least I felt slipping away and people slipping into their own 
tailored bubbles because of, you know, the internet and social media. Like, even though reality was always controlled by, like, you know, a select, like, I think it's, like, six corporations now. In the past, maybe it was, like, uh, decades ago, it was, like, I don't know, 50 or something? And then it's now it's, like, five giant conglomerates that own everything that we see. But at least it was, you know, still shared fake reality, you know. But with the internet, I mean, as much as it's good now that we get to see a lot of different news sources and different things people are saying and, uh, you know, it's not only controlled by these people, it's also just completely fractured reality in a disorienting way. And everyone feels it. Everyone can feel it, but it's hard for people to formulate but they just know that it's hard to trust people and that people are willing to lie for their own causes and agendas, which is good and which is what I was pointing to before with the whole show business thing. But this book really dives into the extremes that governments and, and the media will go to and, and work together in order to create their own reality that they want people to subscribe to. And it's so important. I feel like that's like should be the starting point for everyone to try to form their opinions on anything. Like opinions are just flying around online, and there's it's so easy to create the illusion of a consensus. And then you know people are very malleable, and they think, well, if everyone else thinks this, it must there must be something to it. It must be in the right direction. So I guess I'll subscribe to that too. But. It, it's so easy to create a fake consensus and now there's a real there are real people who believe in that in that fake opinion and then it becomes real and it's just so crazy so I feel like before anyone tries to form an opinion on, any, on anything you need to understand your own psychology and, and mass psychology the psychology of the public and to know the forces that are being worked upon you at all times that you're not even aware of. Um, the, the, I think a former KGB agent, or I think I mentioned it on another episode, said that propaganda works like an invisible radiation that works upon the people without them knowing. What a terrifying, terrifying locution, but it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And even, even whatever you know awareness I have of it, I'm like, what forces are being worked upon me that I'm not aware of? I, I like to think that I'm the most aware of them all, and yet there's probably a lot of things that I think that people actually want me to think, even though I think I'm taking the like outsider view. It's you can just keep going, just pulling, zooming out further and further, and, and wondering what what is actually out there, what's going on. It's really hard to know, and so you just have to decide who you're going to trust, and then and then look to them for what they're thinking and see if it matches what you're thinking it's just becoming uh the, the relativism of truth is, is quite scary the level of detail that people that, that the powers that be are willing to go to a huge problem with our society another huge problem is that i don't think people have any imagination for exactly how machiavellian our world powers can be and are like in this book I'll, I'll read the quote it's I'm reading about the, the he talks about the troll farms in, in Russia which are actually just buildings full of people who are paid to write what the government wants 
and the level of detail it's it's hilarious and insane and no one would ever imagine that that people are going to these lengths to try to create um, a false public opinion so this woman who the author is talking to who is she was working on the inside from one of these troll farms to try to expose it um, her name's Lyudmila so it says Lyudmila's special project involved the creation of a mystic healer named Cantadora, an expert in astrology, parapsychology, and crystals. Cantadora was meant to be read by middle-class housewives who were not normally interested in politics. Lyudmila's job was to drop in the odd bit of current affairs in between blog entries on astrological signs and romance. So literally, this woman Cantadora is like... Uh, Mercury's in retrograde, which means, you know, watch out, your your husband might cheat on you. Keep an eye on that pig. Uh, you know, who would never cheat on you is our Lord and Savior, Vladimir Putin. Um, like, the level of detail. And then, yeah, so here it says, so Leodmela wrote, for example, how Gant- Cantadora had a sister who lived in Germany and then related a nightmare where she dreamt her sister was in a desert surrounded by deadly snakes and then interpret those snakes as U.S. foreign policy endangering the EU. So that's the level of detail going into trying to manipulate people's thoughts. And you're crazy if you don't think that our government is doing that as well and that governments all over the world are doing this every day. So it's, it's like... I used to kind of forgive the average person for not realizing the level of manipulation being put onto them, but I feel like there's not really an excuse anymore, especially just after like the whole Epstein thing. It's like, it's right in front of you now. You see that there was an international pedophile ring by the most powerful people in the world taking place for decades without anyone knowing and with the being condoned by former presidents of our own country and it, it's 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 like well, there's no excuse now not to suspect that really anything could be possible you know um and i mean unfortunately now you know no thanks to john oliver it's like now we have to still turn on conspiracy theory because it's getting too out of control even though you know, there's plenty of evidence everywhere that a lot of conspiracies are real. We have to be suspicious now because of people taking it too far, like QAnon is the big example right now. But you know, I don't, I prefer that. I prefer the QAnoners to, to people who are not suspicious at all, okay? I like people who are in QAnon. I like people who are addicted to opioids. I like people who, are addicted to food. I, I just, I like anybody who feels that something's wrong. When you get into all this stuff, it's because you know something's wrong and you feel the void. And I'm a friend to all who feel the void. And it means that you want something more and you want to know what's going on and you want more than what this fake and fraudulent infrastructure of life that's being given to us has to offer. And maybe you're searching in the wrong place, and maybe you join a cult, and maybe, you know, they tell you that every person in Hollywood is like eating a baby for adrenochrome, 
but that's probably closer to the truth than like whatever Mrs. Krasenstein on Twitter has to say. These these people who who tweet comfortably from behind a screen about reality that does not affect them in any meaningful way. Like I prefer, I would rather have a conversation with a QAnon member than than a, than a Parker Malloy or. Or, uh, that fucking, who's that guy on Twitter who has, like, a book about how Trump's, like, you know, in a diaper? Brooklyn Dad. He's one of the worst offenders. That whole crew of people. Jeff Tiedrich. Who actually, he's been having, like, a little edge to him. I think, I kind of suspect that someone else took over his Twitter. Um, because before it was just, like, what did he love to say? It was just, like, Trump forgot his tanning spray when in that photo of his of of in the orange house just like stupid fucking shit and a bunch of like Krasenstein types would like it think they're funny so brutal politically and comedically and I've tweeted it before but the most convincing argument to vote for Biden is that the Trump is Orange comedy show will finally end and many of these people will lose their jobs and make room for maybe people like me to get to get the work that has been kept for me because I cannot bring myself to write a packet for Samantha B who sits in her gated in her gated mansion with her pundit husband while tweeting about the rights of the underclass so um, it's really crazy how politics became this thing that really affected comedy in such a crazy way. When I started comedy, I never thought I would have to, you know, to share the same political views with anybody in order to get work. Never thought that. I mean, we probably want the same things, me and the people who run the, the um, liberal comedy shows. Obviously, I'm very progressive. I want everyone to be able to do what they want. That doesn't hurt other people. To have health care and a home and a job. I mean, but the the the, the self righteousness and the and the shitting on like just anyone who votes for Trump and the lack of understanding or empathy for anybody um, who doesn't subscribe exactly to your own ideology. It's just so obnoxious. And, uh, and I think it's actually just tearing civils- the fabric of civilization apart, even though it's a comedy show. I really just think it's antithetical to the goal of uniting people. It just creates resentment, and everyone now is only speaking from a place of resentment, it feels. Most people are speaking from resentment. The media has stirred a thirst for blood that will take years to, to remove from the public. It's, it's, it's terrifying. And uh, I just don't want to be part of that. Um, but it has been fun watching the, the tone of pandemic Twitter shift from the beginning to now. Or in the beginning, everyone was like, I'm going to mouth kiss all my friends when this is over. And now it's like, if you don't vote for Biden, you're a murderer and I will kill you. I will kill you and Kamala will put me in jail and I will like it because I support this country and you need to go to jail to support this country. Um, And so 
it's just uh, there, there's almost no remembrance of day to day. It's like every day is a new day for everybody, which I kind of like. I've kind of been living my life that way for a while. Um, it's cool that everyone's living in the moment by forgetting um, the things that politicians say or, or do in the past, and, and it doesn't really matter their records, their histories how they voted, it really doesn't matter because what matters is the DNC got Billie Eilish to perform and uh, Eva Longoria to host and and uh, Biden helped a stuttering kid um, feel comfortable even though he had a vice grip around his neck. Um, it's so bizarre that they're really making a big show of that, of that kid who's just being fed things to say did not look happy at all in that clip of Biden really getting way too close, kissing his forehead. I mean, I mean, what, how does it work on anybody? How does that stuff work on anybody? It's baffling to me. It makes me think that the people who like that stuff online are, are just literal trolls, just farms and farms of trolls for talking to a, a young boy with a stutter and only molesting him a little bit. That's what we're willing to praise now. The bar is so low. He only kind of touched his neck a little bit weirdly. And that's progress in the DNC. Um, Sarah Silverman tweeted the video too, like, we can go back to this kind of decency. We can go back to sleep. Just like Joe, if we don't vote for Trump. But she follows me on Twitter, so she's a very nice lady, and I have nothing bad to say about her. Um, I don't know. I don't have this well of like confidence to pull from. I'm doing this podcast. I don't even have the confidence to really advertise it. Those of you who have found it and listened have said very nice things, and that's good. And I need you to keep saying those things because I really... Um, I don't have many vices, really. I'm not addicted to any substances, but I am addicted to positive feedback. And I do not want to get it the cheap way by posting half nudes. I don't want to go that route. I don't, I just, I have Twitter, you know, that's something. Do I go the full, do I go Azalea Banks and threaten to kill myself on an Instagram story? Maybe that's the way. I mean, that wouldn't even work, so we just have all the ex-trolls being like, yeah, do it, do it. I've said it once, and I'll say it again. It's, it's such a shame that suicide is no longer an option, thanks to them. I can never kill myself now, or they'll think it's because of them. I'd have to write a very lengthy and explicit suicide note explaining that it's not because of the 16 million email SoundCloud rappers who tried to ruin my life. They did not win. The showbiz industry one, and that is why I am dead, because of Netflix. Um, because of Netflix picking Sarah Cooper. No, no, no. Everyone's, there are comics mad about Sarah Cooper getting the Netflix special. I mean, I, I don't want to be one of those, these bitter comics. It's like, I've seen her at a show um, in the city. She was fine. She's a fine comedian. And they just, you know, the industry does that sometimes. It, because of the circumstances of the zeitgeist and the political climate, they zone in on people who fit the bill of what they're looking for to push 
whatever agenda is out there. Sometimes they just pluck a comedian and they just do it. They just make them a star for their own purposes. And that's what's happening now with Sarah. And good for her, you know. I don't blame her. I don't begrudge her, whatever is happening. Yes, she has already become a robot and a puppet. If you've seen the video of her hosting for Kimmel, it's, it's insane. They just complete, it's like brainwashing. She fed her lines that were not her own and the special will mostly be things that were not written by her. But it's like, you know, it's so hard to get anywhere in this business. Who could blame her for just saying, yeah, I'll take it. You know, is it crazy that someone is now getting uh, a career for moving their lips to the words of another human being? That's not for me to say anymore. I don't know what's going on anymore. Stand-up sucks, everything sucks. The standards of art are so low now that it's, it's shocking. If you watch a movie from before 2000, you're like, oh my God, we were, we were allowed to be challenged by things before. It's, you can just, it's palpable, the difference in, in the level of art that's being made. I mean, of course, there's still great things being made, but it just doesn't reach the, the mainstream. I feel like it's, it was easier to, to reach a wider audience with something that was maybe not palatable or, or, or weird, you know? And uh, I don't really, I, mean, I don't want to generalize, maybe. I mean, the only really great things I've seen recently are, are international stuff. Dark, which I won't get into again. Um, there's a uh, kingdom was actually a really fun Korean sort of zombie thing actually, but well done. Um, and so it's like you have to look to the past for things that are that are kind of unique now. And uh, I wonder, I wonder if that's because gatekeepers felt more of a responsibility artistically to get to get unique voices out out into the world because that was they were the only path for for people to see things and maybe now because of the internet I wonder if gatekeepers are like well now anyone can just put out whatever they want so it's not really only on us and we can just pick the things that will make us the most money and everybody else can try it on their own I wonder if that's maybe even a subconscious thing that's going on I don't know because with all the money that's flying around and all the money Netflix has you would think that they would be more willing to risk and, and try things and, and take chances on people who are not only celebrities. And yet I don't really see much of that. Um, the only kind of weird uh, comedy thing that surprised me, I didn't think they would ever give a chance, was I think you should leave. And who knows if that's even getting another season, but I was shocked that they would, that they would give that a chance. But I mean, it's an amazing, weird show. And that happens quite rarely, very, very rarely. You would think they would do that more. Maybe even give my show a chance that I pitched to them. A prank show, which they told us they were not looking for. And then we see that Crystalia and Brian Callen, or whoever's fucking prank show, was pulled because of the, the pedophilia or whatever the fuck. Liars, all liars. Um, I do not have the COVID antibodies. I went to my Russian doctor, who I love, and uh, she's really more of a therapist at this point. I go to her, and it's literally an hour-long appointment. Have you ever had a doctor who's willing to sit in a room for an hour with you? I don't think so. 
and that's her style. She's very DIY, you know, when she gave me a kit with, with a little scalpel in it so that I could excise my own wounds. She's just hardcore. Um, so she gave me the antibody test and I was, you know, gauging her opinions on what's going on. She's a, she also, you know, she's from Russia. She knows what's up. She doesn't always trust the government. And she said she would be first in line to take the virus, to take the vaccine. She tr signed up for a trial. She didn't make it. And uh, she says, you know, vaccine technology, it's really not that difficult anymore. So there's really not that much risk with taking the vaccine. So for anyone who's suspicious of old Bill Gates, I don't know, maybe it's okay. Then we got into the topic of douching, one of her favorite topics. She goes, have you been douching? I go, no. She goes, good. None of my patients are supposed to douche. Um, and I know that. I know it's very bad for vaginal flora. I would never do that to my WAP. I respect the WAP. Um, she's the same woman who I, I came to her with anxiety symptoms. And she did not prescribe me any any prescriptions to, to line the pockets of any uh, pharmaceutical families. She goes, let me show you a breathing technique that assassins use. And she taught me square breathing that a KGB officer once used before, you know, shooting a poet in the face, which they should be, as I feel. Um, she's just so cool. She's not all, all about drugs, prescribing drugs. She's very not like crazy holistic like uh like homeopathy but just she believes in trying things and thinking different ways about medicine and giving me knives and i am into that um and i know that that i was asking her about the antibody test because i had been reading that the fda was kind of just like whatever about it as they are and just let let people take them even though their efficacy has not really been scientifically proven and her being who she is she got like a ton of the tests and did her own little experiments and uh, was testing giving the antibody test to her patients who definitely had the virus and for the most part the tests proved accurate and all the people who had the virus showed that they had the antibodies and then once um, the FDA started sort of uh, closing off what, what tests could be used and what couldn't and then said, okay, you can only use these tests now. She still had some of the old tests and then started comparing the results of the new tests and the old tests and found that they all pretty much had the same results. So maybe the tests are actually just pretty accurate on the whole, turns out. So if you're thinking about getting an antibody test, could be worth it. I do not have the antibodies, unfortunately. I am thinking of taking the pod onto full Patreon, no more free ones, just because, like I said, I don't, I don't know that I have the confidence to keep doing this as, as much as I need to, you know, the one free and the one Patreon. I don't know. I just don't know. It's, it's kind of dark days. It looks like stand-up is not going to be back to normal until next year, or early next year at the earliest, maybe even longer. And I don't know, I mean, maybe I'll just actually continue to lose my mind and then really want to do even more episodes, free and, and paid. I don't know, but I'm wondering how many of you would, would feel such a loss of, of the pod that you would actually sign up for 
for $5 a month, and I know it's tough times, I don't know, $5 a month seems reasonable, but I, I also know that it's very difficult out there. Maybe you could, uh, I don't know, DM me or send me, a, send me an email or something, letting me know if you would stop listening or if you would subscribe if I started only putting them behind the paywall or maybe if something like 2 or $3 a month it would be more reasonable. I don't know. It just doesn't because I don't. It's not like I'm using the free one as like an advert for for the Patreon because I don't really advertise this. So it seems like just having a fun secret little behind the paywall podcast would be maybe more of the way to go, and I'd feel more freedom with you know saying certain things out of my mind. Maybe even naming some some more names. You know, Eli named a name that uh, nobody knows or cares about, but maybe I'll go even further. Who knows? Um, so I don't know, and you know, $3 a month from all of you who listen to this would really change my life in a meaningful way. I think maybe I just need to, uh, I feel like a change of scenery could help my mind, and yet whenever I think about where I would go, it's like, I mean, I would like to be definitely in nature, like right now I'm sitting in a park and it's an underrated pleasure just sitting in a park in the sun with a nice breeze. But whenever I think about where I could go, I'm like, it's not even about where, it's like, and I'm not trying to escape myself either, it's more like just the infrastructure of society, like the separation of people, not just because of the pandemic, just general modern modernity, it's, it's the lack of feeling of community, I feel, more than ever. It was easy to ignore before the pandemic, because it's just, you have your routine and your schedule, and especially with being a comedian, you're out every night and talking to comics and talking to a crowd. It's easy to mask the lack of a real sense of community, especially if you don't really have strong family ties like myself, I do not. And my friends are kind of a bit scattered and it's easy to forget that, like I said, because of the type of busy life I was leading. And it makes me think that this like obsession in young people with communism might be actually just the desire for community disguised and absent uh, I mean obviously there are problems with huge problems with our economy and like yes we need to figure out a better economic system like is communism the answer I don't really think so the most you know hum- humanitarian countries do not have communism like Scandinavia has democratic socialism there's also capitalist in nature I think this sort of fantasy of communism is a fantasy that changing our economic system will also change ourselves and then change us to be more communal with each other actually and it's that isolation driven by social media and and modern life that is driving a lot of young people to the ideas of communism that's just, just some speculation that I have but I mean, it's kind of an optimistic hope because I I would like to believe that rather than believing that people genuinely think Stalin was a good guy. And if you search hard enough on communist Twitter, you will find people openly saying that, which is terrifying, I think. Even the little hammer and sickle thing and the use of the term comrade, the fetishization of communism is very scary to me. Um, And it should be to you if you know history. And obviously, Marxist theory is a lot different than how it's been carried out. I don't need to say all this shit. You guys already know you're smart people. 
but I also get wanting to escape the brutality of this of the cronyism that we live under it's not fair capitalism we live under it's complete corruption no one is being held to account and on top of that everyone's just alone it's just no good it's no good and so that's my little theory on why people are quick to group themselves under this this ideology and thinking it'll bring salvation and because uh, there's no especially now there's no real ways to 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 organize with friends and, and find like-minded people outside of politics so instead of just like you know bonding with humans under like by like you know playing basketball or whatever it's like they're you know well let's throw Molotov cocktails in the street and that becomes a communal activity and I understand and I also understand that there are real issues people are fighting for and I wish I mean you will not find anyone more ready to occupy the streets and throw a Molotov cocktail than me I just want to throw it at the right person I wish we could all when I see people in in Beirut and when, and when I watch the Arab Spring, when I see all these people in a country really unite and really target the people who are actually responsible for the misery and, and, and the greed and the corruption, when I see people rally together and realize that they all have a common enemy, I get so turned on. I'm like, why can't we do that? And of course we know it's because it, the powers that be are so good at dividing us. And but I would love it. I would love to be on the streets every day saying, give us health care or we're holding the economy hostage. You know, to get these people out of prison who shouldn't be in prison. Stop for-profit prisons. Stop profiting off of discontent. Stop making money off of our physical and emotional and mental discontent. And it's not going to go away until we all get together and realize we're all suffering because of a small group of people and the dominant media institutions that prop them up and they're just going to get away with it over and over and over and over and over and over and that's why I love Dark on Netflix so much Dark on Netflix, it really captures that the cycles of life in human history as Mark Twain so eloquently said they, history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes and dark is no better demonstration of that than anything I can think of. And I've successfully got a lot of you to watch it. And I'm happy that you DM me and tell you that it's changed your life. And by proxy, I have changed your life. So please continue to watch and tell me that I've changed your life. Or don't watch and tell me I've changed your life. Either way, I really need it. I really need it. Bye!